Heavenly Father, we come before thy holy throne of grace. We want to thank thee for thy goodness to us. Thou hast been our protector, our guardian throughout the night and given us rest to our weak and mortal bodies. We pray now, Lord, that thy Holy Spirit will be our teacher, not this mortal flesh that stands before so many, but thy Holy Spirit. Father, we pray that each and every one of us would open our hearts to thy word, speak to us in clarity, in conviction, and may it bring forth fruit to thy honour and glory. Be with those that could not be here, the sick, as we have mentioned already, Brother Jaco and Brother Edwin, Sister Beverly, be with them, watch over them, for we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Dear ones, for this morning's meditation, I feel led to, to read from the first book of John, the first letter of John the Apostle, chapter 5. John, the first letter, chapter 5. Whosoever believeth in Jesus, whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone that loveth him that begat loveth him also that is begotten of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God, and we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not grievous. For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Who is he that overcometh the world? But he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God. This is he that came by water and blood, even Jesus Christ, not by water only, but by water and blood, and it is the Spirit that beareth witness, because the Spirit is truth. For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. And there are three that bear witness in the earth, the Spirit and the water, and the blood, and these three agree in one. If we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. <clears throat> For this is the witness of God, which he hath testified of his own Son. He that believeth on the Son of God hath the witness in himself. He that believeth not, <clears throat> God hath made him a liar. He, hath, he that believeth not God hath made him a liar because he believeth not the record that God gave of his Son. And this is the record that God hath given to us, eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. These things have I written unto you, that ye believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. And this is the confidence that we have in him, that if any ask anything <coughs> according to his will, he heareth us. And he, if we know that he hear us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desire of him. If any man see his brother sin a sin which is not unto death, he shall ask, and he shall give him life for them that sin not unto death. 
There is a sin unto death, I do not say that he shall pray for it. All unrighteousness is sin, and there is a sin not unto death. We know that whosoever is born of God sinneth not, but he that is begotten of God keepeth himself, and that wicked one toucheth him not. And we know that we are of God, and the whole world lieth in wickedness. And we know that the Son of God is come, and hath given us an understanding that we may know him that is true, and we are in him that is true, even in his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Amen. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Let's arise for a word of prayer. Almighty God, ruler of this vast universe, Lord, we marvel to think that we can come into thy presence this moment. Lord, we who are but dust and created by thy hand in whom thy breath is, Father, that we can know and experience thy love, thy holiness, thy truth. Lord, we we want to come to this place and to worship Thee. Lord, Thou art worthy. Thou hast done so much. Thou art so great. And we have so much need. Father, we are often confused without strength in a world full of lies. But Lord, we are so thankful that we have this promise that our faith is victorious over this world. That as we trust in Thee, Thy power, Thy grace is sufficient, and Thou hast already overcome the enemy of our soul. Father, teach us this morning. Speak to the hearts of everyone. Lord, Thou dost know the need that each one here has. Thou alone canst meet Encourage, strengthen, and admonish. Father, let us know the needs of those who are not even present. Father, we know we live in, in complicated and difficult times. We pray for the leaders of our government, for wisdom and direction. We pray, Lord, for those who call upon thy name throughout this whole world, many of whom are suffering persecution for your name's sake. Father, strengthen them. Give them boldness that they may continue to proclaim the truth. And Lord, that it may shine brightly in those dark places. Father, even here, we, though we do not experience persecution, our light is often lost in this confusion. We pray that we would live lives that would be a contrast, that would show and point to our Heavenly Father. Lord, we can only do this. We can only truly love each other as Christ loved the church through Thy grace. We can only live lives that are victorious and overcoming of sin through Thy power. And so we proclaim our dependence and wish to be vessels for Thy glory. Father, speak and help us not only this morning, but Lord, throughout this week, and through our conversations, 
through our attitudes, through the way that we communicate with each other, with those outside these walls. Lord, be in each of these things that thy name be praised and that we would become less and that would be greater. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you noticed, as we read through this chapter, three times at least, we see the term born of God. Another word that was used in the very first verse is begotten of Him. It's the same word. I don't know why they changed it, but the first verse says begotten. Um, the, the fourth verse says born of God. And then they go back to begotten of God. But at least the root word is the same in the Greek. I checked it this morning. Why would they use the three? I understand that not long ago we had a a meditation on first on actually the, the, the uh, Gospel of John concerning Nicodemus and how Jesus said to Nicodemus, except a man be born again, he cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Now there was an, a, a preacher in, in, uh, came, coming from England in North America during the time of what they call the Great Awakening and he kept on preaching on being born again, being born of God being born again. And someone, you know, um, asked him, why do you always speak about being born again? Why do you always speak about ye must be born again? And his answer was, because ye must be born again. And perhaps a lot of the preaching today in this world doesn't speak about being born again. It was sort of a new term to many. If you remember some time ago, I, I mentioned uh, about the, the great Watergate scandal in which Chuck Colson was implicated and he had a, a life-changing experience where he was in prison and out of his experience he came out and he wrote a book, Born Again, which put that word, that phrase on the map in North America apparently. A lot of people didn't understand or know what born again was. You would think, how come? America is the country in which in God we trust. But I think perhaps the preaching has changed over the years to um, this idea of a conversion into this idea of invite Jesus into your heart. Where conversion and repentance is bypassed and just make Jesus your friend. And he'll solve all your problems. I remember when I first came to Canada and we used to sing in CFG uh, from the gospel hymns. We used to often sing. Often. And I haven't heard it for a long, long time. I don't know why. But we used to often sing, A ruler once came to Jesus by night to ask him the way of salvation and light. The master gave answer in words true and plain. You must be born again. There's a difference between religion, between believing in a set of rules or principles, and actually becoming a child of God. The process of becoming a child of God is not going through some kind of a religious ceremony, as happens in many cases, where a child is baptized at the 
at his birth, christened in another term used, and then that at the age of maybe 10, 11, 12, they are confirmed and they are now included in the kingdom of God. The inclusion into the kingdom of God is not by some kind of a rite or ritual. It is actually a process that is much akin or now analogous to the physical birth. You become a child of a physical family by a physical birth. You become a child of God by a spiritual birth. And that's exactly what Jesus meant in John chapter 3, where he said, except a man be born of the water and of the spirit, he cannot inherit the kingdom of God. We see in this, in this chapter, and you can go even uh, ahead of this chapter into chapters 2 and on, and you'll see that he mentions another two times. This had to be something very important at the time of John when he was writing this. Um, it is believed that he probably wrote this while in Patmos, the Isle of Patmos, at, the, at a very late age, 80, 90 years old. It is believed that there was a lot of false teachings going on around about that time, specifically the Gnostic teachings that Jesus Christ could not have come to earth as God because if he did, he'd be tainted with the, the, the earthly, um, the fleshly uh, sin of, of, of man. He could not have been put upon himself flesh because that's corrupt. How can God put upon himself flesh when that's corrupt? Flesh corrupts, flesh dies, flesh rots. Jesus could not have done that. And so there was a defense here of the deity of Jesus Christ. If anyone talks more about the deity of, of Jesus Christ, it's John. You can see that in his Gospels. You can see it right here. This is a, a great contention at the Council of, of Nicaea where there was a, uh, the, 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 the debate of the Trinity of God, the, the, tri, the triune God, the three-in-one God. God the Father, God the Spirit, and God the Son. And so you can see he's, he's defending that. The other thing that he's, he's defending is, yes, even though we are children of God, even though we are born of God, it is possible that a child of God can sin. And he defends that in chapters 1 and 2. Very clear, you can read it for yourself. At the end of chapter 2 he says, if you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone that doeth righteousness is born of him. So we see there are several verses, and there's at least six verses in this letter that actually speak directly on being born of God. So what's the first characteristic? The first characteristic of one that is born of God. It's in the first verse of the chapter we read. Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. That's number one. You've got to believe that Jesus is the Christ. You remember the uh, Ethiopian eunuch when um, traveling through the desert, and we talked a bit about uh, Ethiopia this, this, week, this week in CFG, uh, that there's a possibility that the Queen of Sheba was from Ethiopia, but the eunuch was traveling back to Ethiopia, and he was just coming from a feast in Jerusalem, and the Spirit says to Philip, go and attach yourself to that chariot. They meet up, and 
And Philip asked him, do you know what you're reading? He's reading from the book of Isaiah, chapter 53. He said, how can I, how can I know if someone doesn't explain it to me? So they went on their way and they talked and Philip explained to him what this meant, who this person was in Isaiah 53. And they stopped and... Uh, the eunuch says, well, what doth hinder me then to be baptized? Let me just read that so I don't misquote it. And the eunuch answered in Acts chapter 8, verse 34, And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee, of whom speaketh the prophet of himself or some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. And as they went their way, they came to a certain water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water, what doth hinder me to be baptized? And Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. On that confession, <clears throat> Philip baptizes the eunuch. There's a scripture in the book of Romans, and I had a discussion with someone not long ago, where it says, well, <clears throat> in Romans chapter 10, that we confess unto salvation with the mouth, we confess and believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead. And he felt that that meant you confess your sins. Once you confess your sins, you're ready to be baptized. But it's more than just confessing your sins. It says in Romans 10 verse 9, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thy heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. When you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and believe that he was raised from the dead, in other words, he died on the cross for your sins and he was raised from the dead the third day, you will be saved. But you've got to believe in your heart, not in your head. Not just head knowledge, but firmly have a conviction that this is true. And it was so true to the early Christians that they died for it that they were asked to recant, to deny Christ, and those that didn't deny him were killed. Sad to say, many denied him. Paul writes to Timothy, I believe, and says that if you deny him, he will deny you. So the first and foremost evidence that you are born again is that you believe in your heart that Jesus Christ was not only someone of, of a historical figure, but he was the Son of God, just like Peter confessed with his mouth in, in Matthew 16. And he said, you are, the, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father which is in heaven. Romans chapter 5 says that those that believe are justified. Therefore being justified by faith in what? In Christ. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And the justification is something that God does. It, if you look at the, the root word in the Greek, you will see it says it has to do with the declaration of innocence. Now we know we're not innocent. We know that we have sinned. But God has acquitted us of that crime. God as the judge drops his gavel and says, I acquit you of your crime because someone else has paid for it. We can feel just because of somebody else's 
sacrifice for us, namely Jesus Christ. So having faith in Christ benefits us in the sense that we can have peace. We cannot feel guilty anymore for the crimes that we have committed. And they are crimes. If you, you can just think of so many, so many horrific, heinous crimes that people on this earth commit. And yet you've seen transformations from them. You've seen them change. And although man would like to see justice prevail and them put to death, yet in God's sight, they're innocent or they're acquitted of their crime. So that's the first sign or characteristic of someone that is born again. In chapter 5, verse 4, it says, For whosoever is born again or born of God... That's another way of saying born again, born of God. If you look at uh, first, if you look at John three, it says uh, born again in the in the KJ King James version. But some translations say it really means born from above, born from above. Same meaning though that above is God, but he's born by the Spirit of God, which we visualize as coming from above, from heaven. And he says the next um, characteristic here in this chapter is that he that is born of God overcomes the world. Overcomes the world. And you can go to chapter 2 of this letter and you'll see what he defines as the world. What is it that we need to overcome? And he talks about the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh and the pride of life. The same three temptations that Adam and Eve faced in the garden. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. And all of us, every single one of us, are subject to that. The difference with those that believe in Christ is they have power to say no. Those that do not believe in Christ do not have power, neither do they understand the things of God. Some may understand some things of God. I can't say that the human race is all completely ignorant of God. No, they're fully aware of God. The Bible tells us that in Romans chapters 1, 2 and 3. And there's none that can, can excuse themselves from that. But they don't have power. It says, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. It is our belief and our faith in Jesus Christ that gives us that power to say no to sin. It is that firm belief that we have a higher being, uh, uh, a lawgiver, a judge, our father. In any way you look at it, you know, the Apostle Paul says, you know, the law was made for the lawless. And some may say, well, that's... Um, that's just for the unconverted, the Gentiles, or the heathen, or those that don't believe in Christ. But you know, sometimes a Christian can become lawless. And when he crosses that line, and goes into, if you will, trespass, the law is made for him. And that the law judges him. The Holy Spirit will judge you, will condemn you, when you cross that line, when you refuse to listen. He will admonish you. 
This word here in 1 John 5 talks about those that sin and sin unto death or not unto death. I don't believe it's a one singular sin. I believe it's a category of sin. But it can happen to a brother. It says here, if, you, if your brother sin, if you see your brother sin a sin which is not unto death, he shall ask. And we've seen that in our lives where, where members have become careless and they get involved in things. They get addicted to alcohol or pornography or anything like that. And the Bible says, go back to Romans chapter 8, if you live after the flesh, what's going to happen? If you live after the flesh, you will die. That means you must be living. You cannot die if you're dead. But you will die. If you persist in that, that's why it's very important the way we read this verse, uh, the, the, the word here. If you go back to, if you want to follow, 1 John chapter 3, verse 9. It says, Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin. What? Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin. But hang on a sec. You just said in 1 John chapter 1, If any man say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we have made him a liar and his word is not in us. Now some say, well, that may be referring to his past life. We'll go to the next chapter. My little children, these things I write unto you that ye sin not. He's saying, don't sin. Now he wouldn't say that if he knew that we didn't have the power not to. But it says, and if any man does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he, Christ, is the propitiation or the covering for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. So what is he saying in 1 John 3, 9? Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin. A characteristic of someone that is born of God that he doesn't sin. That can only mean one thing. That he doesn't continue in sin. That sin does not have dominion over him. Some would like to excuse that. Some would like to say or think better of themselves and say, well, we don't sin as Christians. We just have shortcomings. Or we just have faults. That's not what Jesus said. He says, if your brother trespass against you, go between him and thee alone. And deal with it that way. We have sin. <clears throat> not that we want to sin. Not that we <clears throat> are looking for it. But we can, if we're careless, if we're not spiritually awake, if we are not like Jesus said, watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation, we can get lured, we can get deceived, and we can fall, we can sin. The characteristic that John in his uh, letter, verse chapter 3, verse 9, <clears throat> and chapter 4, 5, verse 4, and look at chapter 5, verse 18. We know that whosoever is born of God sinneth not. He's, he's repeating himself what he said in 1 John 3, 9. But he that is begotten of God keepeth himself 
and the wicked one toucheth him not. What he's saying is, those that have been born of God, it says in the previous verse that we read, it said that his seed remains in him. The seed of God remains in him. The word which he hath given him, God's work in him, remains. How does it remain? God has given him power to say no. God has given him the the ability to discern. But when you let the world, and, and as Jesus said in first in, in in Matthew thirteen, that when the seed is sown into the ground and the and the weeds come and choke it, it cannot bring forth fruit. When we let the world, when we let our guard down, we let things creep into our life to choke it, it's easy for us to be careless and slip into sin. He that is born of God is not dominated by sin. And the question to us is, how do we deal with that as believers? Galatians chapter 5 gives you Some answer to that. <clears throat> the book of Galatians, he's dealing with um, Christians that have gone back into Judaism, that have gone back into worshipping God with the law and with the flesh. And he says, verse 13, For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. What's the liberty? To do things that I want, can feel like doing? You've been called to liberty. You've been called... To freedom. Freedom from what? Freedom from sin. Only not use this liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Listen to what the Christians at that time were doing. Listen to what they were doing. Verse 15. But if ye bite and devour one another... It sounds like beasts. But if ye bite and devour one another, take heed that ye be not consumed of one another. The report's coming back to the Apostle Paul saying, this is what's going on in the church. This I say then, walk in the Spirit. See, the, 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 I think the one ingredient that many are missing in this world that call themselves Christians is the Spirit. Is, there's no place for the Spirit. It's all a matter of going through the rules and ceremonies, but where's the Spirit of God? It is the Spirit that gives us the power to say no to sin. If we submit ourselves and subject ourselves to the Spirit of God, which dwells in us, Romans 5 says that the Spirit of God sheds abroad in us the love of God. Let me read that. Romans 5, I would really recommend everyone, not just the unconverted, to read through the book of Romans up to chapter 8. Often, often. So we go back to the first verse. Therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom 
we also have access by faith into his grace wherein we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, patience experience and experience hope, and hope maketh us not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit, or the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. The Holy Ghost is given unto us. The Holy Ghost is what empowers us. Jesus said when he was about to ascend, he says, and when the Spirit is come, you will be endowed with power from on high. How submissive are we to that Holy Spirit? How in tune are we with that Holy Spirit? And that Holy Spirit is a person. It's a second person in the Trinity. Do we portray the characteristics of one that is born again. If we don't, we leave room for the devil to blaspheme. He's the accuser of the brethren. He's the one that was so brash that he would come to God's face in his court and look and point down and say, look at your people down there. And God would say, have you considered my servant Job? Can he say that to us today? Can he say, have you considered my servant Jack? Or can you, see, can, can you consider my servant Christina? Or my servant whatever? Can there be enough evidence in us that God, when the Satan, when the devil comes to accuse us before him, that God could say, have you considered my servant? The evidence of one that is born of God is one that can say no to sin. It's easy to baptize people. There are many that have dunked every day or every week. But what comes out of the water? What kind of a life arises and do they see Christ in us? Verse 7 of chapter 4, 1 John 4. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone that loveth is what? Born of God. There's another mark, there's another characteristic of one that is born of God. Everyone that loveth is born of God. When you have the true love of God, it's going to be evident that you are born of God. What was, what was the Lord's, probably one of the final statements that he made to his disciples at the Last Supper? He said, a new commandment I give unto you. We opened up this chapter which says, for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. And Jesus said, a new commandment I give unto you. Why was it new? Why was it new? Maybe because they had forgotten it wasn't being passed on. The whole law that was given to Moses is all about the love of God. How God wants us to love him, to have no other gods before him. To not use his name in vain, to not make any graven images to worship other gods, but to love the one and only true God. And the other six commandments were all about loving our neighbour. If we love our neighbour, we won't kill, we won't commit adultery, we won't lie and steal from him, we won't covet his neighbour, we won't do all these things. That's the love of God in, in, in law code. Why was this a new commandment? A new commandment I give unto you. Maybe because it's new to them. But it was always in the law of God. Love one another. For so shall all men know 
that you are my disciples when you have love one towards another. When we love each other, it's a manifestation. It's a, it's a visual picture to the world that they have something that other people don't. Everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. And God has given us the ability to do so. We read in Romans 5, The love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. The one that empowers us, the same gives us that love. When uh, you've heard many stories of our forefathers, and even today, I'm not saying this not today, of the unselfishness in times of persecution and, and oppression, when those in prison that had their quota or ration for the day would see a weaker brother and give their loaf to the weaker brother or sister, whoever it be. Where we share, the early church um, sold their possessions. They sold their possessions and came and laid them at the apostles' feet, their proceeds. They lived together in love. They had the feast of charity together. They sacrificed one for the other. A love that believes all things hopes all things, endures all things, never fails, never fails. And it's so sad today that more and more couples are divorcing. Couples can't stand to live with each other because they don't have the power, they don't have the love. Children are suffering. What kind of a message are we giving to our children of saying, you need to convert I just heard this past week, someone said, you know why we didn't convert? Because of my father. What kind of a message are we sending? And I'm not just, I'm not just talking about marriage and, and, and the family life. I'm talking about in every aspect of our lives. What kind of a, a message are we sending to this world concerning the nature of God? What does it say about the nature of God? Chapter 4, verse 6. We are of God. He that knoweth God heareth us. He that is not of God heareth not us. Hereby we know the spirit of the truth and the spirit of error. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and every one that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. That's his nature. He's love. God is truth. God is love. Do we portray that? Can men say, truly, there's something different about you? And I've heard, I'm thankful in this church, I've heard just different testimonies that people that have come to church said, I came because I wanted to be like that person. I wanted to have what that person has. Verse uh, 4 of chapter 4 says, Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them. Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. When the scripture says ye are of God, it's the same thing as saying you have been born of God. You belong to God. You are his child. And Romans chapter 8 says how beautifully these apostles agree, even though they may have had very little time together, but they had the same spirit. 
Verse 14 of chapter 8 of Romans says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For they have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. We have the same Father. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. This is the peace that we have because the Spirit of God has regenerated us and we are now part of what the Apostle Peter says, we are now belonging to the divine nature, the heavenly nature. First Peter reminds me of First Peter chapter 1 when John says, that, that we love each other, then we're born of God. This is what Peter says. I want to read. <clears throat> I believe that the power is in the, in, the, in, the, in the gospel. That's why I want to read this. Verse 17 of 1 Peter 1. And if ye call on the Father, who without respect of persons, judges according to every man's work, pass the time of your sojourning here in fear. For as much as ye know, ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold, from your vain conversation received by the tradition of your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in his last times for you, who by him do believe in God, that raised him up from the dead and gave him glory, that your faith and hope might be in God. Seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren. He comes out of being born again right into the unfeigned love of the brethren. The unpretentious love of the brethren. There is so much gratitude. There is so much thankfulness in those that have been plucked out of this world, that have been redeemed from death, that have been redeemed from hell, that they have this tremendous love, unfeigned, unpretentious love, for those that are called the sons of God and daughters of God. They're brothers and sisters. And then he says, not of corruptible things were you born again, but being born again, not of the corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. That's where the power is. It's not different what Paul says, that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation unto everyone that believes. This is not a matter of just being baptized. This is not a matter of just raising your hand or signing a card, as many do. This is a matter of a commitment to one who's able not only to save them, but keep them saved to the uttermost, the scripture says. In the preceding chapter to John chapter 3, we don't, we don't normally begin there when, when the 3 is expounded on, but this is, what, this is what the same writer says here. Now when he was in Jerusalem, that is Jesus, at the Passover, in the feast day, many believed in his name. When they saw the miracles which he did, many you know, it's like uh, Jesus giving the testimony of John the Baptist. He's saying they were willing to rejoice for a season. Those that heard John the Baptist were willing to rejoice for a season. 
Many believed on his names when they saw the miracles he did. But Jesus did not commit himself unto them because he knew all men. And needed not that any should testify of man, for he knew what was in man. Even though they believed on his name, the same word is used here for commit, he didn't believe in them. Because he knew what was in their hearts. While the food lasted, that's how long it lasted. The disciples that followed him around Lake Gennesaret, when they sought him, he says, you didn't, you didn't come to me because you, you know, you believe, but because you were filled. As long as the food lasts, so does your faith. Like the prodigal son, as long as his money lasted, so did his friends. And when it was all over, they forsook him. They picked on somebody else. That's the world. That's the world's love. Doesn't endure. Fails. Temporary. Is that the kind of love you want to commit to? Or do you want to commit to the love that we described in 1 Corinthians 13? The love of God. We talked all about being born again. No one can make you be born again. No one can force you to be born again. It's not something you get through a class or a seminary. It's something you get by seeking the begetter, God. He that believes, he that comes to God must believe that he is. We heard that Thursday. And that he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. That relationship is between you and God alone. Not between you and the priest. Not between you and the pastor. Now between you and uh, whoever it is, the PhD in the seminary college, is between you and God. And that brings you to a point where you, you feel the guilt and the load of your sin and brings you to a point where you cry out because you feel so helpless and there's only one that can help. Read Romans 7. Jesus Christ. And... When you become born again, you will know that you're born again by all the signs that we have just read about this morning. My prayer is that all those that have been coming for such a long time, that God will touch your heart, that God will reveal to you the false pleasures that you've been seeking, the lies that this world has been offering, and then you embrace the true God that will make you change your mind, that will make you repent of your past life and God will give you a peace the Bible says that passes understanding and when you have that power you'll have a joy that cannot be quenched you'll have a hope that is able to lead you into the next life and that hope is in Christ to him be the glory evermore Amen I read a quote from uh, some of you may have heard of John Newton he was a hymn writer he wrote the probably the most famous hymn of all time, um, amazing grace. In that song he wrote about the grace that saved a wretch like him. But I've always wondered, there was a quote that somebody quoted, and I didn't know who it was until I read it recently. It was him again, where he talked about life as a Christian now, just before he died. He was old, he was blind, he couldn't read. And somebody quoted to him a scripture from 1 Corinthians 15 I am what I am by the grace of God and as he was 
commenting on this to the person that was reading, he said, or actually he was speaking to himself almost, it said, he said, I'm not what I ought to be. I'm not what I want to be. I'm not what I hope to be in the world to come. But still, I'm not what I used to be. I am what I am by the grace of God. I pray all of us can say, I'm not what I used to be, but I am what I am by the grace of God. To him be the glory evermore. Amen.